Welcome to the Blockchain Practitioners Podcast, where we interview founders, leaders, professors and experts in blockchain and try to learn something new about an industry which in a few years will affect the lives of us all. My name is Alexandros and I'm your host for this episode. In this episode, we talk with Manuel Klein, digital currency consultant and blockchain product manager in Germany's biggest bank. During the recording of this conversation, Manuel was working for a big four accounting company, which explains the beginning of the podcast. The views expressed on the podcast are solely of the individual himself and not tied to any company he might be working for. Manuel, uh, thank you for joining us in the Blockchain Practitioners podcast. Yeah, Alexandros, uh, thank you for for inviting me. That's uh, a real pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Manuel. I'm 30 years old. I work at a big four consultancy firm, consultancy firm in the blockchain consultancy space. Um, so my expertise um, lies in digital money, especially crypto money, let's say not only Bitcoin and crypto assets and cryptocurrencies, but also how, um, for example, the euro could be put on a blockchain and could be used on a blockchain. Uh, there's plenty of movements, obviously, so around CBDC, but also stablecoins and other forms of um, the digital euro, let's say, um, but also focusing on uh, digital assets strategies, so a custody strategy, um, um, strategies how banks and asset managers can connect to exchanges and therefore uh, also purchase cryptocurrencies and um, help the investors to invest in these assets. So quite a, a big range of topics, uh, but focusing on you know, helping our clients to get along and, and understand this uh, interesting topic in this new space. Educating them in some sense of the word then. Educating them, but also uh, um, working on, on projects, on, on certain projects, so more strategic projects, but also uh, quite hands-on projects where we work on uh, custody um, projects and, uh, you know, making making commercial banks and investment banks fit for the new blockchain-based era. Mm-hmm. And how did you get yourself into cryptocurrencies and digital money and digital assets generally? So it was not cryptocurrencies that um, uh, got that 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 got my interest first, let's say. But it's more the functioning and the you know um, setup and the structure of the current monetary system. So as a student, I studied economics. I always wondered what happened in the Great Financial Crisis. And uh, it was uh, my my you know self set aim or my self set goal to understand what what was happening there. Obviously, this is a very complex um, problem and very complex issue that we were facing uh, back in the days then. Um, but that was my motivation, and then I came across the uh, functionings and the malfunctioning maybe also of the current money system, and. Um, so I got really interested in understanding what banks do, what central banks do, um, how uh, the money supply is increased and decreased and what lending or how lending comes into place. And uh, therefore, you know, that was my first rabbit hole, let's say. And then um, I also you know, came across an alternative money system. It's uh, called sovereign money or full uh, reserve banking. And I was really interested in that. And uh, uh, then I... You know, worked for an NGO, um, but uh, w- without pay, you know, voluntarily. And um, therefore, I, I started to think about possible alternatives to the current money system. And then, obviously, um, cryptocurrencies weren't that far away. 
So back in 2016, I started to, um, you know, read into blockchain technology and how cryptocurrencies uh, work. And uh, obviously, then th th this was the second rabbit hole. Let's say um, a lot of time um, was was spent on this on this topic, but definitely worth it because it's such a vibrant and interesting topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also personally find it quite interesting how you know the value of a cryptocurrency is based basically on the perception and on the community itself, basically. I found it I find it fascinating because you ask where is the intrinsic value of Bitcoin or any other asset digital asset, right? And you kind of then realize that the whole value of it is the fact that you and I decide that it has this much okay, not this much value, but it has value and we trade it basically as a community, let's say. Hmm. And uh you mentioned it uh, about the uh, you mentioned digital euro and basically uh, an attempt to create a digital euro within let's say a blockchain and as far as i know this is called central bank digital currency right and uh, how does a central bank digital currency work of course it's still not available but mm. uh, the european central bank is working on it currently as far as I'm aware, but uh, do you know how how it will work, more or less? Well, yeah, I would I would go back to your first uh, statement there when you say um, you know digital euro uh, is basically a, a central bank digital currency or a CBDC. I wouldn't go that far, or I wouldn't go that way. Um, I would um, you know first try to differentiate between the different forms of money that we currently have and whether we will also see these forms in a blockchain-based monetary system where a, a digital euro, for example, would play obviously a key role here in Europe. Because currently what we see is that the majority is not central bank money. The, central, the, the majority of the, of the money supply is not central bank money, but it's commercial bank money. And um, so it's a private form of money because it's a, a liability of a bank that we use as the main form of a medium of exchange, but also of a store of value. Right, so um, central bank money is only has only a small fraction of uh, M1, which is basically the money supply that we use um, for, you know, daily transactions, and uh, only a small fraction of central bank money. That's physical cash. That's uh, we all know it. We all use it. It's physical cash. In some uh, countries, it is quite strongly diminishing. For example, in the Nordic countries, here in Germany and uh, Europe, we still we are still uh, physical cash lovers. So especially in Germany, there's still a lot of usage, but also it's declining, especially um, uh, due to the Corona pandemic, right? The COVID pandemic. Um, so, but that is that is the, the central bank money that we currently use, right? And now the question is, will the central bank be the provider of the digital euro that is um, sitting on, on a blockchain and that is transferred on a blockchain? And Looking back to the current money system is uh, that this question needs to be answered because um, it, it's not that clear that the central bank will actually provide this this money because currently it's not central bank money that we use as, as uh, money, right? It's private forms of money. So I would say the digital euro can come in many different forms. It can come as a CBDC, as a central bank digital currency, but it can also come uh, in, in different private forms, for example, as stable coins, but also maybe as a commercial bank money token uh, that we um, now see in some publications um, that, that people are actually thinking about how you could 
put commercial bank money on a blockchain, right? But this may be just uh, first as a, as a side note, but now coming back to CBDC, to central bank digital currency, well, we now saw back in July that uh, the ECB um, has um, you know, started or decided to start a, an investigative period or an investig investigative project um, to look into the digital euro from the central bank. So to look into a CBDC, especially into a retail CBDC, where basically all non-banks, so uh, all us that uh, don't have a banking license, can hold this digital form of, of central bank money, right? So they're, they're still looking into it, uh, or they, they will start actually to look into it now. A, a digital euro, um, and also whether it will be blockchain-based, it's not clear yet. Um, but this investigative period has started now, and um, this, is the, the, this is the public uh, side, so to say. On the private side, we, see, we also see a lot of movement, especially obviously in the USD, so US dollar-denominated space, where we see quite a lot of uh, stable coins, and quite a lot of uh, movement worldwide in terms of, uh, you know, commercial bank money tokens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for our listeners who may uh, hear it for the very first time, what would be the difference between, let's say, a central bank digital currency or digital euro and the euro that they have currently in their bank accounts, because both of them, mm. for someone who may not know, both of them are digital. So what would be, let's say, the difference? Yeah, it's a very good question. And it's not that easy to answer, actually, for, for most people, because they, they think, well, it's, it, it always runs digital. Uh, so we already have the digital money, right? But I would uh, differentiate a little bit, because what we currently see is, I would call it digitized money, right? Because in, in English, you have a nice differentiation between digitization and digitalization. Uh, digitalization, let's start with that one, that's basically using technology for manual processes and um, you know, transform these manual processes uh, into more efficient processes where you use technology. Right? And this is basically what we have. Because what we have uh, with our current form of you know, digital money or digitized money, uh, sorry, digitalized money, is uh, an account-based money which sits in, in accounts that you hold with your bank, with your commercial bank. And every time this money is transferred, um, then what basically is happening is the ledger that you can also think of a, a book entry in a very physical book, because this is what they, what it, or how they actually transferred the money back in the days before you know, computers took over that job, right? Um, then this, this book entry is deleted then you use another settlement asset, which is central bank money, so central bank reserves, um, to transfer these funds from bank A to bank B. And then the book entry in the physical book of the bank B is increased, right? And that's basically how it works. On the asset side, uh, central bank uh, reserves are transferred. This is also just book entries, right? And on the liability side of the balance sheet of the commercial banks, then this uh, commercial bank money is decreased and increased uh, in the respective accounts, right? And this is a, a technique that has been um, used for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years um, um, just to, you know, to transfer book entry money, uh, right? So we, we always had physical money, which are tokens, which can be transferred from A to B directly without any intermediary. This is basically, a, you could say, a tokenized uh, money, right? A physical token. But then we always had this 
book entry accounting uh, type of, of money, right? And as I said, uh, this money is now, let's, all, let's say, digitalized because we use technology to help us to transfer this money from book entry to book. Now, digitized money, uh, that's the differentiation in the English language, digitalization versus digitization. Digitized money means basically representing money by bits and bytes. So you don't transfer a certain manual process um, uh, with uh, you know elec electronic um, process uh, um, you know process mechanisms um, and make them more efficient, but you basically take the money and represent it as bits and bytes, and that is digitization, right? And that is you know the true form of digital money because beforehand, as I explained already, I would say we only have um, digitalized money, right? So that is what I would say the big difference. Um, if you think of a, a blockchain-based um, euro, so a digital euro, not a digitalized euro, because this euro will then become a token, but a digital token, just like physical cash, but in a digital way, that can be transferred without an intermediary from A to B, right? So you don't necessarily need a bank anymore. And we already see that with stable coins, right? Um, so these are... US, US dollar denominated, but um, you know when you when you transfer the token, it settles the transaction, and that is something that uh, current uh, digitalized money just simply cannot do because we always need to settle all the accounts at uh, each bank, including the accounts at the central bank, and that is the main difference. And now, obviously, the question arises: why that would be uh, of a great advantage? Um, but it has been shown that uh, you could actually generate quite some strong advantages, uh, especially due to the missing intermediaries. So it becomes more cost efficient. It becomes uh, cheaper, right? And then you can build a, a lot of um, applications around this um, token-based money system that you uh, simply could not do in an account-based system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see, I see. And this is basically the main advantage of a uh digital euro of a digital euro, right? As to why a central bank would put effort into it. Or are there any other advantages as well? Well, uh, I think looking at central banks, it's it's quite a, um, a complex issue there because it's not necessarily a technological question whether they would uh, issue such a digital euro, but it's more a economic question and a, a question of financial stability. Because introducing a digital euro, so maybe, for example, on a, on a blockchain, right? Euro on a blockchain as a CBDC, um, this could actually generate some um, negative side effects on the financial uh, markets as we know it today, especially on commercial banks, right? So it's not that straightforward that you can say that, for example, when this, this money from commercial banks then flows into the central bank, that they then lack funds that they can uh, lend out. This is not the case. But um, there are many uh, quite complex um, economic dependencies, let's say, um, especially due to the reason that um, commercial banks can refinance themselves quite um, cheaply by you know, issuing uh, deposits because these are uh, quite um, low uh, remunerated. Uh, also, before interest rates were that low as we as we know it today, 
um, it was always the cheapest uh, way of, of, of you know, funding uh, liquidity for commercial banks uh, simply by accepting deposits, right? Because the interest that was paid on these deposits was very low, actually. And every other way of refinancing for a, a commercial bank is more expensive. So, for example, if you uh, go to a bank and say, I want to save money, and then, you know, then you sign a contract that you cannot touch your your money, let's say for three months or for three years or maybe even five years, um, then they will pay you a higher interest rate, right? Um, for them, it's not that risky now because you cannot touch this money and then the liquidity that the bank actually has to use is locked, let's say, in the commercial bank, right? Mm -hmm. So it's quite attractive for them to um, you know, also hold longer uh, term liabilities, especially when you think of uh, corporate bonds, let's say. Uh, these are you know, you cannot use them as a, a liquid um, a means of, of transfer, right? Um, so they're kind of locked as, as regular liabilities that we would think of uh, with regular institutions, right? And therefore, they would also pay you a higher, dividend, uh, higher interest rate, right? So all these different uh, refinancing options are more expensive for, for commercial banks, right? So if now a lot of money uh, flows out of the commercial banking sector into the central bank, uh, refinancing the liquidity that the uh, commercial banks um, have to hold becomes more expensive. And that could obviously have some side effects, for example, onto, um, uh, to, um, also onto um, the credit creation, so, so granting loans, right? So these might become more expensive. It's not that yet clear if this is really the case. But um, so long story short, there are quite a lot of quite complex um, dependencies that um, may lead to the decision that central banks will not, you know, provide the killer app for uh, a CBDC and to provide a, a token-based um, money where you can, which you can use for all types of programmable transactions, uh, and you know, maybe to put it, to use it in the DeFi sec uh, sector or wherever, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it might be the case that uh, the CBDC actually has some some uh, quite other USBs, maybe with a higher um, anonymity or a higher privacy, or also uh, that you can use it for offline payments, right? Mm -hmm. and that, that has nothing to do with this whole blockchain hype because this doesn't even require the, the digital euro to be based mm -hmm. on a blockchain, right? But um, this would actually bring some other USPs to the um, real economy and also to non-banks, which would then obviously also not harm uh, commercial banks as much as if uh, it was you know based on a blockchain and um, without a, 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 a limit let's say uh, that you can hold in, in retail mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily the technology uh, technological question but more an economic question that's basically my main point I see I see no it makes sense actually I have a question you mentioned it that the digital euro would be able to be transferred also without an internet connection and how would that be possible because like at least when i when i think of bitcoin and ethereum of course these uh cryptocurrencies at least would not be able to exist without the internet of course and how would you be able to transfer something digital without uh internet connection that's a good question and it's 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 nothing trivial, let's say, right? It's not that trivial. Um, and there have been some developments in the past that also try to, you know, send um, 
certain tokens from mobile phone to mobile phone, for example, via um, NFC or Bluetooth, right? And uh, these were, to my knowledge, mostly only pilots uh, where, you know, companies wanted to look into it or provided a, a, a MVP, let's say, minimal viable product, but it never really got into real use, right? But now the ECB has also um, already done some experiments uh, also in that in that regard. So they asked uh, or they, they did, you know, a public uh, consultation there uh, where six companies actually provided a, a MVP or a pilot for, the, for a solution where a, a token could be transferred, let's say, from a mobile phone to a mobile phone without internet connection, but also maybe from a card to a card. So let's say um, you store um, some some e-money. Uh, we also have that system in, in, in Germany uh, still present. You store some e-money on a chip, right? And then this chip can be read from... Um, it's, it's digital information, but it's not connected to the internet, right? And this chip can be read by a certain card reading, uh, in, uh, you know, card readers, right? And... Um, then they can transfer the, the money that was placed on that chip onto another chip of another card, right? That is an example. Or they also tested, as I said, uh, mobile phone to mobile phone transactions um, just to make sure that, you know, and that's also not decided yet whether there will be an offline-based uh, euro, right? Um, but that would be one of the USBs, actually, of a digital euro because the private sector so far has not come up with a, a simple solution that can be used um for for offline payments right no that is true that is true and uh you already mentioned a few ways that the, the digital euro could be stored and one of my questions is that i have a hard wallet for my cryptocurrencies do you think that would be also possible a uh, way of storing the uh, future possible digital euro as well in in the hard wallet where I also store my uh, cryptocurrencies, or that would not be possible? Um, th that's not an easy question to answer, right? Because um, you would first have to think about the platform on which the, the, the digital euro would be issued, right? So that's not uh, differentiated between the public and the private digital euro now for that reason, because uh, we now focus only on the technology, right? So let's say the digital euro in whatever form is issued on a blockchain. Then obviously the question is uh, which blockchain, right? Let's say it could become a ERC-20 token on Ethereum. Then obviously you could, uh, you know, uh, receive it with an ERC-20 ready wallet. And this could be a hard wallet or a hot wallet or whatever type of, of wallet, right? Um, when or if it is um, issued on a, a another blockchain, you would have to make sure that your hardware wallet also can connect to this blockchain, right? Um, and if it, it can hold the tokens. If it's not based on a blockchain, um, then uh, to my mind, I'm not sure yet whether there are any uh, offline uh, storing capabilities for non-crypto money, let's say. Um, because usually then this would be account-based money that would sit in an account with uh, an intermediary, right? So either a bank or an e-money institution, right? And then this would also be part of the balance sheet of the um, issuing institution. So it's not easy to have like a, a token that be, can be possessed by anybody because it's just an account entry in, uh, in a balance sheet, right? Um, but if it is token-based, 
and based on a blockchain, then obviously it's just a question uh, on which blockchain it, it resides, if it's a public blockchain or if it's a private blockchain. Um, and then uh, whether you can you can also store it on a hardware wallet. What I'm thinking also is that if it is not store if it is not on a blockchain, it could be a business opportunity for hard wallets to figure out a way to store also the digital euro within the hard wallet one way or another, I suppose. But another thing that comes to my mind is, uh, do you think there would be any advantages to creating? Uh, a separate blockchain to store the digital euro and or and maybe the other uh, CBDCs of other countries? Or do you think that would not be uh, beneficial in any way? Because when you create your own blockchain, of course, you can customize it in any way that you want. Uh, do you think that would be in any way beneficial? Or if, let's say, supposedly it would go on a blockchain, you would choose for an already existing solution, let's say? Well, uh, there, there are obviously a lot of, uh, you know, inputs into this question, a lot of uh, dependencies and a lot of variables that you need to consider. Uh, one quite strong one, I think, is um, the missing centralized governance of uh, public blockchains, right? I mean, this is obviously uh, a design feature and not a bug. Uh, we all know this. But when it comes to a CBDC, for example, a central bank digital currency, then obviously the central bank might want to be able to control uh, the, the system on which this token is being issued, right? Um, so that, that is a, a big question. And uh, therefore, I'm not sure whether we will see uh, a, a digital euro on from, from the central bank, for example, on, um, on, um, on public blockchains, right? When it comes to the private form of a digital euro, uh, we already see that um, we have, for example, stable coins on, on the different public blockchains, right? On Ethereum, on Cardano, on um, uh, Tezos, on whatever you may you name it, right? Um, so um, that, that is, that is of, of one uh, very important aspect, I would say. But then also when you think of, you said, um, you know, if different central banks issue CBDCs on different blockchains. Um, I'm not sure whether this would be a, a big problem because usually um, the retail-based payments uh, are only used inside of the currency union or inside of the respective country, right? Um, and this is also something that uh, central banks uh, would like to control better because uh, actually it's not of their interest that uh, a lot of the, for example, when you look to the US dollar, a lot of the physical cash is being used in other countries as well, because this is just out of their scope and out of their control, right? With digital forms of money, uh, a, a national blockchain, let's say, a, a private blockchain, um, you would you would then call it, it could be of interest to central banks, uh, especially also in the different countries and the different currency regions, because then you would have better control over who is uh, using the, country, uh, the, 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 the currency, right, and the money. However, when you think about international use cases, so for example, uh, when you say you want to um, use a, a CBDC, for example, a wholesale CBDC, which can only be used um, by financial intermediaries, especially banks, right? And when you want to use such a, a wholesale CBDC for international payments, then would absolutely make sense. And there's also quite strong research, for example, from the Bank of uh, International Settlements in this uh, space, 
this project is called MCBDC. Um, and it would actually uh, make a lot of sense to issue all of the different wholesale CBDCs on one single platform, because then you could have all these uh, efficiency gains by on-chain swapping, on-chain trading uh, with uh, these tokens. And then you would not have to uh, you know, worry about uh, interchain interoperability, let's say, right? So I would say it's very different dimensions. Private sector, go for, for public ones. Uh, we already see this. Uh, retail CBDC, if it is based on a blockchain system, I would rather assume a private one, but um, and a closed one also, right? Uh, but um, and and also leading to to different blockchains in different regions and different currency um, areas, right? But then internationally, wholesale level, um, this would be the best solution, let's say. Otherwise, you would have to make sure that these blockchains are interoperable, which would be also obviously uh, the second possibility to um, achieve this interoperability. Yes, yes. Because it's also one of the things uh, that are plaguing, you know, cryptocurrencies the inter interoperability. You have some solutions like Polkadot, for instance, or Cosmos that are trying to address them somehow, but they're still not, let's say, completely there yet. So if it would be in different on different blockchains, it would be also really a huge hassle for people to change them in any way, basically. And then what you would create, I suppose, is different intermediaries again that would Correct. probably help uh you know this to, will help with all this um interoperability which is not i think the whole <laughs> the whole mission of it is to take take away those uh, Intermediary. uh intermediaries yes yes and and one of one thing that i saw like quite recently is that uh twitter is going to accept uh tipping with Bitcoin, for instance, do you think this would be also if a digital euro would be were to be issued? Do you think that would be a nice use case as well? Uh, and how would that impact uh, intermediaries, for instance, like Western Union, of course, and uh, commercial mm -hmm. banks as well? Because if you can do it through Twitter, then Twitter becomes, okay, it's not a bank per se, but at least it helps really it helps, but also obstructs banks and uh, intermediaries like Western Union from their main, from one of their main services. Let's say. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a, an interesting question, and I think also there are quite um, different input factors into this into this question, right? Because when it comes to Twitter, for example, I mean it is already live; it is working the service, right? But uh, Jack Dorsey is a very very crypto. Uh, enthusiastic uh, individual right so he's also quite uh, a bitcoin enthusiastic and i would suppose quite skeptical when it comes to a, a cbdc or some other uh, forms of, of a digital euro however um and, and i mean looking into the solution that is implemented now that's uh, including uh, or that's connecting the lightning wallet um, via twitter right um, so it's a very unique setup, actually, also to transfer Bitcoin, right? Especially Bitcoin, because it's based on the Lightning Network. If Jack Dorsey decided to, you know, include this feature with, for example, a stablecoin like USDC, mm -hmm. um, then it would a be probably a lot easier because then you don't have to, uh, you know, 
channel these funds through the Lightning Network. However, obviously, it also works uh, quite well when you check out the videos that already exist on the internet uh, using the Lightning Network, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it would be uh, USD or, or then Euro, Euro denominated um, money, which clearly is not the case with Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, obviously, the um, solution that it is now that is now offered by Jack Dorsey and Twitter is a, a, a killer app, right? I mean, <laughs> you have all these different contexts that you don't need to actually know. Um, you only have to have their their Twitter account or their Twitter name, and then you can send some some Bitcoin uh, to their wallet, right? That's a that's obviously a killer app. I mean, Facebook also uh, and 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 DM former Libra, right? They also envisioned this. Because they thought uh, it's it's simply a network effect, right? If you have a platform that has a huge network, um, then you already have acceptance um, that is very much needed for a, a a type of money to actually succeed. Because if nobody accepts it, then you uh, won't won't succeed in in providing a, a useful solution for a type of money, right? If this network already existed, then it is uh, quite easy for any type of, of issuer um, to, to channel these funds from, from A to B directly via this network, right? And I think that is especially also what all the politicians and regulators feared most uh, when reading the white paper of, of Diem or of Libra, uh, how it was called back in the day, because they saw that this can actually become very, very successful and quite easily become very, very successful, right? Mm -hmm. um, so... If there is a CBDC, they would also probably try to find solutions to use the existing payment networks to channel these um, tokens, right? I mean, when you look for MasterCard and Visa, which are most probably the strongest payment networks that exist on this planet, right? Because uh, I don't know how many countries they have um, connections to, maybe like all countries probably, right? 180? Yes, 100 yeah. 70 or 80, something like this. Exactly, yeah. Um, so if a, a CBDC was um, able to be transferred using these payment rails, right, then obviously the acceptance would already be um, uh, sufficient and, and, and enough, right? So uh, I think it is important to, to think about these network effects. And Jack Dorsey played a very interesting <laughs> move there and did a very interesting move, uh, which obviously can help Bitcoin to get more into uh, the function of a, a means of exchange, which so far maybe was not really the strength of Bitcoin, let's say. And also I've seen that, for instance, Amazon is recruiting a, uh, a crypto uh, lead, a crypto project lead, basically. And I think Facebook does too. So I think, well, at least for Amazon, I, I think it's quite um, uh obvious why they're recruiting it probably just to accept uh, certain cryptocurrencies so that's one thing but as you said with facebook it could be for i mean for libra do you do you think it would be for libra or do you think it would be for to accept other cryptocurrencies or do you think they could just say we have libra but you can also use bitcoin and you can use uh the digital euro dollar whenever they are available if they are available um, so, so my understanding of the of the project is um, so of the DM project, right, or Libra, 
is that they now work on a, a USD denominated stablecoin. So critics would say just another stablecoin, right? <laughs> but yeah. still, this uh, stablecoin comes with a very large network effect, uh, which others might not have, right? Because, for example, Tether, USD, C, you would still have to hold some uh, Ether wallet where you can uh, receive, let's say, ERC20 tokens, right? But if the wallet is included, for example, in the Facebook Messenger or uh, that they can promote this wallet to all of their users uh, to download, that, that's obviously a, a very um, strong advantage, right? To my knowledge, uh, they are not planning to accept other cryptos, maybe other stable coins, but not native cryptocurrencies, let's say. Uh, but I might be mistaken there. Um, but the, the, as far as I know, that's that's their plan. No, that's as far as I know as well in terms of, you know, that they were creating DM. Well, Libra first, now they called it in a different way, uh, but just, you know, to see if they're, <laughs> if you know something else more than I don't, for instance. No. Um, have you heard of crypto banknotes? Crypto banknotes, um, do you refer to, you know, banknotes that also contain like a QR code or mm -hmm. a yes, QR yes, code? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I know Franklin Null uh, works on these. So it's an American historian, and um, he sees some some quite advantages, some quite strong advantages there that you can, you know, combine the physical token that physical money actually is, right, and the uh, blockchain-based tokens, uh, so that you can, you know, easily transfer the the money that you have in a physical banknote to um, other places that you could not use or that you cannot reach with physical banknotes, right. Um, but I haven't looked into it in very, very uh, so, so not not so, so not so thoroughly. Uh, but I know that uh, this this research exists, right? Um, and I suppose he has some some quite uh, strong um, advantages that he's working on there. Mm -hmm. He's going to be on the podcast as well <laughs> in the future, oh, okay. so I will probably ask him the same question. That's good. Uh, yeah. But I, what I was thinking with, you know, with the crypto banknotes, I was thinking, you know, like I'm from Greece and I also have friends from Italy. And if in Germany, uh, cash is, let's say, still more mainstream than in the Nordic countries, in Greece and in Italy, you use mainly cash. So that's what I was thinking. And especially because uh, older people in Greece, they are, they not all of them, of course, but I can I can see, I cannot envision, for instance, my grandmother using uh, a CBDC, for instance. So I was thinking if, you know, a crypto banknote would be something uh, to be used, let's say, in the digital euro. I, it is a digital euro, of course, but it could also have a, a physical version with a QR code for the older people to uh, integrate into it. And then maybe eventually phase it out, or do you think that would not be an advantage? And using the existing solution, which is just uh, banknotes, be sufficient to this? Yeah. So when you read the the publications of most central banks, um, they always state, and I also believe that this is true. They, they also they always state that they don't want to abolish cash, right? So they still want to provide physical cash as long as there is demand for it. Right. So we see, for example, in the Nordics, that this is not a this was not a decision of the central bank to you know phase out cash, but that was basically just a market force that uh, drove cash uh, out of existence because 
basically just nobody used it anymore, right? But that is also one of the main reasons for, for example, the Swedish central bank, the uh, Riksbank, to look into CBDCs because they say, well, we want to provide a public version of a, 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 a you know, digital form of money to our non-banking citizens. And this is uh, also, you know, from a democratic perspective, uh, quite a, a strong move and maybe also a quite important move because if you only be if you are only able to use private forms of money, uh, then this could also, uh, you know, be be not of interest of, of all the citizens, right? So um, that that's maybe a first point. So I would not consider this whole move on, uh, you know, and this whole experience, eh, this whole research on um, CBDCs to be a move to, to um, you know, fade out cash and to abolish cash. So therefore, I would also assume that cash will still be around also in the next decade and also maybe in the next 20, 30 years. Um, and then obviously the question remains whether these people that now are not, you know, literate enough, technologically, te technologically literate enough to use a CBDC will still be alive. <laughs> it's uh, weird as it sounds, but um, yeah, this is just how, how developments also technological, technological developments work, right? So time will see and time will show uh, whether we will still have uh, physical cash in the future. Central banks will not uh, div div um, you know, abolish it. And uh, whether a, a crypto banknote could be, you know, some intermediary, uh, intermediate function, so a mixture of both worlds, let's say, uh, sounds very interesting. Uh, and uh, I think this is still a topic that I also need to look into. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, one of the criticisms that you mentioned it about the digital euro and let's say the digital version of any uh, sovereign nation currency is that it will just only be another stable coin, right? But another uh, criticism, maybe not criticism per se, but fear that some people have is that a central bank digital currency could also be something that a state could use to surveil their citizens, especially if it is a private, as mm -hmm. we already discussed, blockchain. And for me, for instance, uh, like from my personal point of view, I don't, I'm not afraid of it now like from personally let's say but what i do think is let's say in 20 30 40 50 uh years from now let's say uh if there would be some sort of like dictatorship coming up of course of course this is just uh you know uh a hypothetical, I hypothetical, I hypothetical thing right i hope not but let's say <laughs> you have this thing that at some point there is a more a more dictatorial let's say rule yeah. That that could become in some ways a reality, right? Or what is your uh, opinion on this? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question and a, obviously also a, a a vision that you would not like to think of. Um, and I think it's it's also it's it's a very important topic um, because you know data privacy uh, is is a very important thing, even though that most people don't really think of it. Uh, as to be so important, right? When you look at the um, consultant, uh, the the, the um, how did it, how, how is it called? The um, you know the, the the central bank, the ECB, did a um, a survey with uh, the European citizens, right? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because the major 
um, USB or the major feature that was required from the digital euro was privacy or anonymity even, right? But mm -hmm. mostly privacy. <laughs> uh, interestingly, the majority of the respondents were Germans, right? So 46%, I think, were, were Germans. And I think this is actually reflecting the way uh, uh, how Germans think. So mm -hmm. uh, privacy is, is, is quite important for them. But I also believe that this is quite an important thing. Um, so central banks now also look into ways of how to ensure this privacy. And um, but on the other hand, obviously, when you when you look, for example, to uh, China, mm -hmm. where they it's not clear yet whether they will actually use it as a surveillance mechanism, because they also, you know, have this um, have this idea of a controlled anonymity. That's how they call it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, when you think of the social credit system that they want to in place, uh, implement and, um, you know, payment data is basically the, the most powerful data that, that you can think of because you can, you know, build in like extreme de extremely detailed personality structures just by the uh, consumption data and the payment data that, uh, that you have, right? Uh, so when mm -hmm. you know what I, what I buy... Um, and then combine this data maybe with other, uh, you know, data from social networks or that, all this data that uh, China, the Communist Party is now collecting. You have like this 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 killer vision of of all the citizens, and you can, mm -hmm. you know, control them. That's a horror vision, obviously. Um, and so it needs to be ensured that the data is, you know, kept mm -hmm. private. Uh, you would of course, have to ensure that uh, the compliance that is in place um, currently, for example, uh, anti-money laundering or counter-terrorist uh, financing, these checks and these uh, this, this, these checks need to be ensured also with the digital euro, right? And KYC as well. This is a big, a big problem uh, as well, obviously, mm -hmm. because this ensures being able to do these AML and CFT mm -hmm. checks, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the central bank will say, or that's what they actually state, is that the data will not be used for any other purposes, especially not commercial purposes, because this is what you know private entities do. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look for it, uh, Google Pay or Apple Pay, mm -hmm. uh, they also collect this data and then they use it or sell it or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is something that the central bank won't do. That's what they say. But then also, obviously, you would have to um, make sure uh, by any type of governance system that the data cannot be used uh, to to track down basically all the citizens yeah. and mm -hmm. that's that's basically all I can, all I can say I understand that people are not that um, you know not that um, not that much of a believer in into a into a government organization and that they say mm -hmm. well it's it's going to lead to surveillance but um, I'm not that that type of guy. I, I, I still have faith in, in, in governmental institutions. And mm -hmm. uh, when there are in the development of the euro, of the digital euro, we will see how this is governed. Mm -hmm. And uh, when there are some governance mechanisms there, it's obviously very important that also the public debate, you know, is, is started about whether these governance systems actually provide privacy also um, to, to uh, you know, government organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, regarding K KYC and AML, right? Um, I'm not sure if it's your specialization, but one of the 
guests that we have had on the podcast is Daniel Desol, and he's working on the digital identity mm-hmm. uh, project for Europe. And I was thinking, do you think this would be something that could be combined with a, uh, AML and KYC automatically, in the sense that, let's say, as I said, I have my hard wallet, and one of the and one of my one of the things that I don't see through the news that I'm reading is that you know they are talking about KYC for digital wallets, but no one's talking about KYC in hard wallets, at mm. least not for now. So, do you think this would be you? We could somehow. Uh, combine the digital identity and KYC with AML automatically in some ways? For instance, if I could, well, I don't want to <laughs> put any words in your mouth. So uh, what, what what are your thoughts on this? Could we somehow combine it? So uh, I think that there are two um, points that you mentioned. Uh, one, to combine SSID or the digital identity with, you know, compliance mechanisms that need to be set up. And the other one, whether a hardware wallet can also be combined with KYC, for example, right? Um, so let's let's focus first on the on the first one, and I think that is uh, actually exactly the, the 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 things that developers are now looking into, right? Um, so also when you read the reports of the um, experiments that the Eurosystem and the ECB have already um, conducted. And you also see when they tested a um, pure blockchain-based system, um, they they combined it with with different types of digital identity systems. So either it be uh, self-sovereign identity or also you know digital identity provided by some centralized institutions. But that uh, had a tremendous um, efficiency gains, um, not only for you know compliance, but also for let's say. Imagine you hold your your digital euros with some sort of intermediary that uh, provides you the wallet, right? And then you want to change that. Then obviously the compliance checks need to be done by the other bank or the, by the other institution as well, right? And therefore, in, in, in that respect, a digital ID could help tremendously because then you would say, well, I can prove here with my digital identity that I'm, you know, bulletproof, I... Uh, have no AML and and K, uh, and uh, CFT issues, and then every institution can actually know that because they can connect to your um, digital identity, right? And this is something that uh, I think a lot of research will go on in the next months and years. And then on the other question, um, whether hard uh, wallets can also be you know combined with KYC uh, requirements, for example, when you read the FedF recommendations um, from uh, you know, it's a, it's it's an international institution um, for uh, countering the 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 financing of terrorist uh, of terrorism and but also any money laundering. They say actually that um, you know uh, self-hosted um, wallets need to be KYC compliant. And uh, now all the countries, also here in, in in Europe, especially also Germany, has already proposed a new legislature um, where know they they want to prohibit a professional let's say use of you know digital assets either it be a digital euro or also let's say tokenized bonds or uh, whatever other type of, of digital asset in a in a regulated way they want to prohibit that you can transfer these to a self-hosted wallet because this is not 
KYC, let's say, right? Uh, there was no KYC process going on. So um, we will see whether banks would then still want to issue or other institutions in the, let's say, regulated financial world uh, if they want to you know, provide the, the um, option to transfer the tokens to your physical wallet. And if so, they would then probably require a KYC check, right? Uh, and maybe also an AML check uh, with regards to the to, to the public address. Um, but that is still, uh, you know, remain to be seen. Uh, I'm not sure how the developments are going uh, outside of, of Germany, but obviously it's a big issue, right? Um, obviously, when you think of, of native crypto coins, uh, then, you know, custodial wallets don't play a role for many, uh, you know, crypto enthusiasts anyway, because they still want to keep their tokens on their hardware wallet because, uh, you know, not your coins, not your not, uh, not your keys, not your coins. Yes, yes. But um, when you want to scale this technology into the existing financial sector, uh, which is obviously the plan of, of many financial institutions, right, then uh, this question is a very different one because A, uh, many users maybe don't want to store their own keys and you know keep their their physical wallets or their hardware wallets because they just don't want to do it they, they want a, a trusted uh, third party to do it for them that they can then call and also you know rely on them um, and b uh, you know all the regulatory apparatus that that comes around uh, when you want to use this technology in the financial sector um, that it's maybe not possible to to use hosted wallets in this space, right? Yes, yes, indeed. No, that's really interesting. Uh, another question that I had was, uh, we already touched upon it a bit, uh, and it's about commercial banks. And I'm going, uh, I'm going to change my question a bit, but it was basically whether you think that uh, the digital euro or a CBDC would kill commercial banks. But now that we actually talked about Twitter a little bit, another idea sprang up to me. And if I would be, if I was Jack Dorsey, right, if I was the CEO of Twitter, I would not stop only at Bitcoin. Why not integrate the centralized finance? Why not integrate Aave into Twitter? Um, if this happens, and not only thinking about central bank digital currency, but if this happens together also with Facebook, also maybe with Amazon in some ways, and they start developing these this, uh, digital, let's say, decentralized finance services, uh, or centralized, I suppose, depending on how they would um, go, they would implement it. What? How do you see the future of commercial banks in such a in such a future? A lot of competition. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that is that is a big that is going to be a big um, topic for commercial banks in the future because. Um, Technology makes it possible to transfer, let's say, any type of value from A to B without an intermediary. Or if intermediaries step in and play a useful or unuseful role, you can argue about it and debate about it, right? But they will play some sort of role. Then these intermediaries basically could become any other company. And they don't need to. They don't need to be commercial banks, right? Commercial banks are so important and so special in the current money system and in the current economy because they they are the 
the the the the major creators of of our money supply right i mean um depending on the on the currency sector that you look at um like up to 96 97% for example in 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 the great britain pound area 97% of the money supply is created by commercial banks it's not the central bank it's not the state it's commercial banks right in in europe it's like 85% and so this is a this is something that uh, commercial banks are still the only one that they can do it because they have they are the only ones that have the banking license and if any other you know company wants to provide credit and create money by by granting loans then they need a banking license right so um i would see different different ways of um or different types of competition either it be you know simple let's say simple um payment processes providers say pay, um, payment process providers uh, that actually take existing money and just make it more efficient to be transferred right and we already see some some great um competition there uh f- to the banking sector over the last decades right um so that is one driver but then also other companies that are purely digital then granting for a a banking license. So we already see that, for example, in Germany, there's a very, very digital bank. It's called Solaris Bank. And this is basically the the crypto bank of all the, uh, or of many, uh, you know, institutions that now want to provide crypto um, services because they're so crypto native, let's say, right? They're so technological advanced. And uh, I mean, it's basically everywhere in the world that the commercial banking sector is not the most innovative and the most um that has the best it right so this this is the other um big um the the big competitive force that comes into play when it comes to um competition in the for for commercial banks right so other companies that then receive a commercial banking license that are then also able to grant loans and and you know provide credit and create money but then do that in a very, very digitalized and digitized way, right? And that is also a big, obviously, problem for, for other, let's say, legacy commercial banks that simply cannot do it from a technological perspective. So a lot of competition in the future, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. And it's, uh, it's interesting to see how this will uh, play out, uh, maybe not in two, three, five years, but in a more long-term yeah. Uh, scale of 10 to 20 years and see what will basically Definitely. happen. But it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, competition leads to more innovative services and also commercial banks need to reinvent themselves. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically you see uh, digital, uh, digital, a digital, well, a possible digital euro and everything, well, and cryptocurrencies coexisting in the, well, Competing with one another, I suppose, but uh, coexisting. Definitely, yeah. I mean, they they all have their own uh, USP. I mean, um, digital forms of of let's say euro denominated tokens, right? They would maybe probably be used for a medium of exchange and maybe as a store of value. Other cryptocurrencies might have some uh, governance mechanisms for the protocol or maybe also have some some payment and, and you know transaction uh, types of, of um, use cases in certain economies and maybe others become a 
uh, interesting store of value. So all these different types of functions of uh, of money, which is basically a medium of exchange, store of value, and uh, unit of account, these can be come split up. And cryptocurrencies might also take some of these features and you know provide more more competition to um, you know fiat denominated tokens. Let's say. Yes, indeed. And um, another question that I had, one of the last ones, is um, imagine, hypothetically speaking, that the central bank digital currency would be to be issued tomorrow, for instance, right? Uh, do you see it being massively adopted from the start or do you see, do you think people would be a bit skeptical about it? And at which time frame do you see massive adoption of it if it would uh, be... Uh, released, let's say, at some point? Mm. Well, I would say first, it depends on the network uh, that it can run on, right? If the acceptance is um, guaranteed, let's say, for example, uh, through all the existing card payment rails, or maybe through um, a very different but but very simple way of, of ensuring um, that the transfer of, of the digital euro or CBDC, right? This is one uh, major point but also obviously the features that it entails. So when it entails a lot of innovative, great features that basically nobody in the retail space, especially uh, in the you know, non-banking, uh, but, but person-related transaction space is not, no, nobody needs, needs them. For example, let's say, now let, let, let's think of, do you actually need programmable transactions in your day-to-day life? Probably not, right? Uh, you, you, this is not the use case uh, that you are interested in, right? But maybe industries, so maybe corporates that have very, uh, you know, very um, specific and very complex ways of transactions, right? And machine-to-machine um, -machine payments and, you know, um, where, where a, a smart contract-based transaction mm -hmm. where you could program whatever you want to like into and mm -hmm. give the transaction a logic makes a lot of sense, then this would be a, you know, a feature that might be very, very interesting for the industry or the mm -hmm. industrial sector, let's say, right? But not necessarily for us end users, end consumers, right? Mm -hmm. So it really depends, I would say, on the, on the features, if it has... A, you know, let's say strong anonymity or strong privacy, and maybe a lot of citizens, <laughs> maybe in Germany, would love it and and use it straight away, right? Because they mm -hmm. looked for such a, a type mm -hmm. of money all their lives, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as a, besides uh, physical cash, obviously. So yeah, it's it's not a clear answer, I would say. Uh, depends mm -hmm. on the acceptance, on the network, and on the on the features that it entails. Mm -hmm. The only uh, use case that I could see. A citizen being um, linked or concerned about, let's say, smart contracts would be from an HR perspective. And still, it's not directly related to the citizen, but it affects him from the perspective of the HR perspective that, let's say, you have, let's make it really simple. You have 10 employees and you have 100,000 euro that, uh, that you want to uh, pay them with. So it's 10,000 euro per employee per month, let's say. Let's say that you're paying them really well in that <laughs> regard. But mm -hmm. let's say you want to do this. So what 
you, you what you could do is instead of doing the payroll as it is now, you could send the whole amount of money into a smart contract, which then takes the well, it splits the ten the one hundred thousand euro to ten thousand, then takes uh, automatically the tax from all of this and sends yeah. it to the wallet of the government, for instance, and the rest yeah. to the Definitely. citizens, because this would automate and simplify the, <laughs> the life of the citizens as well when it comes to taxes as well. Obviously. And it would help with tax evasion as well, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a great use case. Um, but I would, also, I would also consider that to be a use case for, you know, the, the, the industry or the, <laughs> the, the large companies that can that can use these features. It's not something that you and I would care of when we transact, right? When we go to a point of sale and buy something or when I want to send you some money, right? Um, so it, it really depends on, on the use cases and on the users, um, obviously. And uh, my last question is, you know, for people who look at the blockchain industry and at all these digital currencies being developed, both from the governmental perspective and also from uh, the private perspective as well and decentralized ones like bitcoin for instance but and they want to start a career in this sector but they may be held back by their peers saying hey this is a highly let's say risky uh, career move for the moment uh, wait for it to be a bit more to be a bit less risky what would you tell them? Would you tell them, uh, go for it, go uh, try starting a career now that it is early and you can get, if, because if you start now that it is early, you can get a lot of valuable experience before it becomes too mainstream, mm -hmm. right? But on the other hand, it can be quite risky as well. And at this point, you also have, um, you don't have a lot of uh, legislation either. So it can be very, very, very tricky if you don't know where to go to, how to do things. But what yeah. are your thoughts on this? How, what would you say to these people? Well, it's not a clear-cut answer that I can give, but I would say it depends a bit on the use case that you want to look into and that you want to spend your time on, right? Um, because <laughs> this is also a, a question for, for many people, I would say, in the crypto space, if they really want to work on, you know, centralized institution uh, adopting this technology, or if they want to focus their time on you know pure dis, uh, di distributed and decentralized applications that you know work on 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 chain only let's say and you know don't want to spend time on on big institutions and banks and and all these you know <laughs> uh, institutions that 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 we have now in our financial system because I would say to the latter. Um, there's plenty of, of opportunities currently and everybody is looking for, for good personnel and for well-educated people that really understand the technology and that help, because we're still in the early days, uh, that help to explain what this is all about. Because uh, when you think of, for example, large corporations that now want to look into this, and obviously because they, they see a large uh, revenue potential, but also because they believe that this might be actually a, a, a technological infrastructure of the, of the future maybe, right? So they need to invest in it because they need to understand it and need to find their place in this new uh, future ecosystem. But they have a lot of problems and they have hard times understanding how this technology works and how it can be used for their processes and their, and their products, right? So 
if you're interested in um, understanding how the current financial sector, but also corporates, obviously you can, you know, use it for supply chain as well. And, and so there's wider range of of, of um, applicability there. But I mean, I'm, I focus on on the financial sector, and if you want to understand how the the financial sector works, because obviously when you want to change something, you always have to you also have to understand how it's currently working, right? So if you're not, you know, a, a, a crypto maximalist, let's say, and, and say, well, the existing uh, system is is just crap and I don't want to know how it works in detail because I only want to focus on on blockchain and DOT, that's a different story. But uh, if, if you, you know, want to be part of this, of this move in the financial sector, I think there are plenty of job um, possibilities now. And also uh, quite a, a nicely looking career uh, pathway there and career possibility. When you look only, you know, blockchain, if you, if you say blockchain only and, you know, uh, fuck the system. And I don't want to spend any time on, on big corporations and, and the financial sector, the existing one. And obviously, it's a different question. Uh, there, I think there's also quite a lot of, of possibilities, and there's a very vibrant ecosystem that is, you know, blockchain only. And I think this is also where the innovation is happening, and where, um, you know, also the, the established institutions also then need to learn from, right? Um, but maybe it's not the type of career that many people uh, envision or that many people think of because it's uh, a lot more flexible. It's a lot more decentralized. It's just part of the technology, right? So um, I'm not an expert in, in providing career tips in this space because I'm not part of the space. Sometimes I, I find it a bit sad, but uh, I, I still, uh, you know, try to keep up with the space and all the interesting innovations that happened there. I don't because I work for a news company in this uh, sector. I'm doing my master's and I still can't keep up. It's so quick. Like (laughs) it's a 24 hour thing. So when you you go to sleep, you wake up and 10 new innovations come up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's crazy, but it's, it's obviously very interesting. And I, I'm quite optimistic that you can also have like a, a well and nice career that many people maybe also think of when they think of a career. I mean, it's a very unclear thing what this career thing actually is, right? Yeah. Uh, but when you think of, of more traditional ways, I think you could also make a great career in this space, right? So I would be optimistic and say it's a, such an interesting and such a you know world-changing technology that will also develop quite strongly i am strong believe uh, in it um, in the in the in the upcoming years right and uh, there's going to be a strong shift in in financial institutions that exist already but also in newly created institutions that then also will become you know large corporates when you look at coinbase mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's now part of the system more or less right mm-hmm. Binance, yeah, they, they're getting under pressure everywhere and now they will comply, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, long story short, um, I'm quite optimistic and I think this technology is so interesting. So so uh, mm-hmm. try your best in, in finding a, a, great, a, a great career there. And it moves really quickly because, you know, uh, two, three, four years ago, there wasn't really anything. Uh, we said, okay, let's say five years ago, you only had Ethereum mainly, basically and uh, Bitcoin, but now you have Aave, you have so many new 
financial products coming out every day and it's really exciting to be in the space uh but at the same time you know it's also quite uh, for people it's it can, for new people it can be quite intimidating and it's quite risky especially when you don't know what you're doing because mm-hmm. if you're if you you like you should always go through the, the through let's say the not you shouldn't stray from the path let's say if you just use let's say the main uh let's say coinbase and binance especially if you're a new one because it's uh, these are not going to scam you in any way because they were, even if you are very 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 cynical that they're going to scam you they're going to lose more by scamming you than not scamming you that's so true yeah, from that's that perspective true. and yeah. it's no but it's uh, it's a really interesting uh, as you said uh, space and it's a really interesting time to be alive in i suppose in, if you're in uh, finance and, and generally in technology i suppose that's for sure. Another question that just came up is because this this is something that I have no clue about, uh, but maybe you have an insight. Do you think that there would be a possibility at some point in the European Union for people to uh, receive their uh, pay in uh, cryptocurrencies in some way, especially if they are, let's say, if you are if you have a business and you have a client in the United States. Uh, it could be that for for them it would be more efficient to send, uh, let's say, CB, uh, CBDC or uh, uh, no, a USDD, for instance, or stablecoin, yeah, than yeah. going from the whole uh, traditional, let's say, financial system. It's a it's an interesting question. And uh, a couple of days ago, I read in a piece by Visa, I think it was where they envision such a future, where they say, well, we already see some very small, obviously, but very fastly growing, you know, tech-only crypto companies, right, that actually don't want to get a bank account and that they don't want to, you know, do all their salary payments and all of their, you know, uh, transfers of money with fiat, but they want to use a stablecoin. And this is why... Uh, Visa also works together and cooperates with USDC, so from Circle, the, the stablecoin, because they envision this future where there are companies that don't want to use the traditional fiat payment rails, right? So wire transfers uh, going through a commercial bank and central bank, right? But simply want to use a stablecoin. So I can also imagine that. And... Um, I'm quite sure that there already exist um, quite a bunch of of companies that want to do that and already do that, right? And if you now have a legally compliant stablecoin, let's say, for example, if uh, in the United States they come up with a, a regulation, but also because we already are working on it in Europe with the Mika regulation, when the Mika regulation comes out, and then a stablecoin provider wants to comply with it and provides this stablecoin, well, then there is nothing that holds companies back to use it for their day-to-day transactions because it's, you know, legally accepted money, right? Uh, just sitting on, on, on different payment rails and different uh, networks and payment uh, systems, right? So therefore, I strongly believe that this is going to be a, a future use case for a lot of companies especially when they work on crypto-related stuff, but maybe also on, let's say, legacy companies that um, understand the, the, the advantage of, uh, let's say, tokenized money, right? 
because it's also for individuals as well because of course let's say i'm doing my, now i'm doing my masters in blockchain and digital currency and i think both you and me had far more difficult time understanding the technology than what a person who is now 10 years old or 5 years old will have once they are 15 16 18 years old because they're going to uh you know they're going to uh be raised in this whole uh new space and it and some of them may be and this is the thing with commercial banks that main, many of them get of a lot of their new clients come from you know from generational uh let's say uh, success let's say if let's say you let's say as you as a as a parent well your your kid may will be more inclined to open a bank account in your bank than going somewhere else but now that you actually may not even need a bank account in the in five ten years because you know why should i use a bank account if i can have my hard wallet as kyc let's say compliance and then it's well, it's an interesting uh, way to see how uh, commercial banks are going to respond to all these challenges, let's say. That's true. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. It's a big challenge. And also the, the, the way how commercial banks work might have to be rethought. Um, so maybe they have to become more of a, a full reserve bank that also now, for example, Circle wants to become, right? Um, interesting, interesting different uh, ways of how this whole ecosystem will you know shape the future of finance and the future of, of financial institutions yes yes indeed. manuel thank you very much for the wonderful conversation it was really uh, fun for me i learned also a lot i hope it was fun for you as well it was thank you yeah so very a pleasure and looking mm -hmm. forward to to hear my voice talking about this topic again. <laughs> yes yes thank you uh, all right goodbye talk to you soon bye alexandros Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Practitioners Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the episode and learned something new and useful today about blockchain. If you are involved in an interesting blockchain project and would like to talk about it on our podcast, please feel free to reach out to us. Also, like, rate and our podcast and let us know if you liked it.